Recently, I came across a quote from a, a great 1700 Puritan by the name of John Owen. John Owen said, What an individual is, in the secret, on his knees before God, he is and no more. Today, we're going to look at a man who was in secret before God, and that's who he is and who he was. But before I get to his prayer, and I'm so thankful that a secret prayer was recorded and that survived 2,600 years so that you and I can be blessed with it today. But before I get to the prayer of Daniel in chapter 9, let me just go through Daniel's bio, if you like, or curricula vitae, so that those of you who have been following would remember and those of you who have not can catch up. Just to remind you that it was the year 605 B.C. when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, invaded the land of Israel. And there he destroyed all that he could destroy in the land of Israel. And then he captured a large number of people and took them into exile in the Babylonian Empire so that they literally became slaves. But four people out of the masses that got taken into exile, four young people, Daniel was one of them. Most likely he was about 14 years of age. They happened to excel, and therefore they received a scholarship to study at the king's college, the king of Babylon's college. And there at the king's college, they excelled in every way. They excelled in knowledge, excelled academically, and excelled physically despite of the fact that they stood firm and refused to defile themselves with the food that was offered to idols. Daniel, who was probably 14 years of age at that time, has survived many tough days. He was taken into the highest authority until one day, when the Persians took over that land and the world, he became the prime minister, number two man in the land. And yet, out of jealousy, some of his colleagues incited the king to throw him into the den of lions. And as we saw in the very last message from the book of Daniel, how God supernaturally, miraculously delivered Daniel from the den of lions. At that time, he was about 81 years old. Most people think that Daniel was a young man when he was thrown into the lion's den, but he was about 81 or 82. And so at this point, we see him here in chapter 9 on his knees praying to the Lord. What is he doing? He was reflecting on the 67 years of his life. He was reflecting on 67 years of faithfulness to Jehovah God. He was reflecting on 67 years of standing firm in the faith in the God of Israel. He was reflecting on 67 years where kings have come and kings have gone, but Daniel stood firm. Daniel was looking back at those 67 years of his life where the Babylonian empire had collapsed and was replaced by the Medo-Persian empire, but Daniel never changed. And through these 67 years, trials never broke him. During those years, difficult circumstances did not jade his spirit. 
During those years, wealth and prestige and power and authority never seduced him to turn away from God. All of that power and authority that was given to him never eroded his love for the Lord his God. What a man. What a man. And so, when we come to chapter 9, we find him reading the Bible and praying. You would think, this great prophet of God, this great visionary for God, that he outgrown the Bible, that he outgrown the knowledge. He could have said, well, I've read that many years, and I'm going to stop now. No, 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 no. None of that nonsense. Here he is on his knees before God reading the Scripture. On this particular day in Daniel's life, he was reading the prophecies of Jeremiah. It is most likely that when Daniel was a young boy, before he was taking, caught in the net of Nebuchadnezzar and taken all the way to Iraq, most likely he heard with his own ears and he saw with his eyes the prophet Jeremiah preaching in Jerusalem. Most likely he remembered the words of the prophecies and the words of the prophets. Most likely Daniel remembered those words because he trusted in the words of Jeremiah to be the words of the living God. We have people today in the church of Jesus Christ who are doubting the authority of the Scripture. But here's a man who was living in the time of the Scripture being written, and he never doubted that what Jeremiah had spoken were directly Holy Spirit-inspired and Holy Spirit-written. So, in this particular day, he begins to read chapters 25 and 29 in the book of Jeremiah. So, what is this prophecy in Jeremiah? Why, and he was reading it. There, Jeremiah was, had prophesied that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, is going to come and is going to invade Israel. At that time, there were no war cries. In fact, most of the prophets, with the exception of Jeremiah, who were paid by the state in order to tickle the ears of the king and please the people. They said, peace, 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 peace. Don't worry. Nothing is going to happen to us. We are God's chosen people. Nothing possibly could happen to us. And Jeremiah was alone, crying out and saying, Nebuchadnezzar is coming. Israel and Jerusalem will be desolate. People will be taken into exile. And at that time, people were laughing at the prophet of God, but not Daniel. As a young boy, he trusted in the words of the Lord through the prophet Jeremiah. But not only that, here's what I really don't want you to miss. He said it will be 70 years when the people of God taken into captivities. And so Daniel looks at his watch, he looks at his wall calendar, and he said, Jeremiah said 70 years. It has been 68 years, two more years. And God is going to fulfill his promise, and God is going to take us back to the land. You see, Jeremiah' prophecy came to pass with meticulous precision. In fact, all of the prophecies came to pass with meticulous precision. Jesus said in Luke 16, 16, the prophets and the law were unto John, and from that time on, the kingdom of God is proclaimed, meaning that he is the fulfillment of all the prophecies. And so, Daniel gets very excited as he comprehends the timing of God and the promises of God and the Word of God. When Daniel prayed, claiming the promises of God, 
there was not a visible sign anywhere that God's promise are about to be fulfilled. It's one thing to see something and said, ah, God must be about to do something, so we stop praying. No, 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 no. He was praying before there was even a hint that God… Listen, He is in the palace. He is the prime minister. He's privy not only to the decisions of the king, but He was privy to the thoughts of the king. And at that time, there was no discussion of these people going back and God fulfilling of His prophecy. There was an indicate, no indication whatsoever that this new emperor is going to send the exiles home. And what is even worse is that the younger generation of God's people could not care less about going home. They were the so-what generation. They couldn't care less about God fulfilling their prophecies. As far as they were concerned, this is their home. I'm sure probably somebody's saying, well, Michael, Michael, as I've heard it from people who said to me, if God promised, and God always keeps His promise, why do we bother praying? (laughs) Why do we bother praying? Why did Daniel pray? Why did he pour his heart out to God when we know that God, when God promises, He keeps His promise? A great question, and I'm glad you asked it, because I want to answer it. (laughs) You see, there are some people who think because God promised something that we should do nothing about changing our situation. I hear people say, America's under judgment for rejecting God, and therefore we should stay home and not vote. We should do nothing. We should say nothing. We should be silent. We should be pacifist. That we should not even pray that God would have mercy on this nation. I hear it from people. Beloved, I want to tell you something. Not only this is wrong, it is not biblical as we're going to see in this passage. Daniel's example is that the promises of God should spur us on, that the promises of God should motivate us to do something, that the promises of God should encourage us to plead with God, that the promises of God should propel us to do our part. You see, to Daniel's divine promise was a reason for him pouring his heart to God in prayer, not an excuse for doing nothing. So I want you to look at that prayer very closely. It's a magnificent prayer, and I have four things to tell you. It is a prayer that is rooted in the promises of God. Secondly, it is a prayer that was resolute in seeking the glory of God. Thirdly, it is a prayer that is requesting the mercy of God. And fourthly, it is a prayer that reflects the needs of the people of God. I think if there is a subject over which so many Christians are confused, it's the subject of prayer. And I want to tell you on the authority of God's Word, not what I think, that effective prayer must firmly be established. It must be deeply rooted in the promises of God. Every great prayer that is recorded in the Scripture always goes back to the covenant, always goes back to the promises of God. And here is no exception, verse 4 of chapter 9 of the book of Daniel. Oh, Lord, great and awesome God who keeps His covenant. Listen, you can be absolutely sure 
that when you pray, claiming the promises of God in the Word of God, even if it takes a hundred years, God is going to answer. Amen belongs here. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of an interactive sermon here, okay? I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to answer me, and I want you to answer me loud and clear, because I want to hear you. Did Jesus promise in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, that when you seek first the kingdom of Jesus Christ and His righteousness, that all our needs shall be met in glory? God bless you. Second question. Did God promise in Isaiah 55, 11, that when His Word is spoken, that it will not return to Him empty, it will not return to Him void? You may be witnessing to somebody for years, and you may be talking to someone for a long time, and you say, nothing is happening, nothing is happening. You can believe that God's Word will not return to Him void. Let me ask you another question. In John chapter 15, verse 16, did Jesus promise that when you abide in Him, and when you obey His Word, that whatever you ask the Father in His name, He will give it to you? When you abide in Christ, when you obey His Word, when you walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, you can be sure that you're only going to ask those things that are glorifying to God, and God are going to give them to you. Daniel was praying, and his prayer was a prayer in confidence, not in who he is, not in what he accomplished, not even in the miracles that God performed in his life. His confidence in prayer comes from the fact that God promised it. And he knew that God will keep his promise even if it takes 70 years. How many times we parents promise some things, and then due to some circumstances totally out of our control, we couldn't keep our promise? I have done that as a father of young children. I said, I'll be at that concert, or I'll be at that game. And then they cancel a flight from New York or from California or wherever I was coming, and I can't make it. There's nothing that tear a father's heart or a mother's heart is when they could not keep their promises out of their control. You know what the kids' always response is? It's predictable. But, Daddy, you promised. Daddy, you promised. But listen to me, beloved friends. When it comes to God, there is no circumstance in the universe that will stop Him from keeping His promise because that's who He is. You and I can be confident when we come to Him and say, Daddy, Father, you promised. No matter how long it takes, He will keep His promise. You know, sometimes I hear people talk about faith, and and they said, well, how big is your faith? And again, just like prayer, they're so confused about what faith is. Beloved, listen to me. Here's the truth about faith. Faith is is how committed you are to trusting God to fulfill His promises to you. That's what faith is. Let me repeat that. Faith is how committed you are to trusting God to fulfill His promises to you. And that is why James said, Elijah was just a man like unto us. But he prayed for it not to rain, and it did not rain. And then he prayed for it to rain, and it rained. Now, my friend, I want to tell you something. You have to be spiritually dead 
to not recognize that our nation is in trouble, that we're in deep spiritual trouble. We're a divided nation, and I'm sort of like the man who said, I don't care about the left wing, and I don't care about the right wing. I only care about the bird. (laughs) And I can tell you right now, the bird is very sick. And you and I need not only go and vote, which is our sacred obligation, but we need to go on our faces before God and cry to Him like Daniel did. You see, that is why Daniel in this prayer repented not only of his own sins, but of the sin of the nation. And God heard his prayer. He heard the prayer of a solitary man, a faithful man nonetheless. Daniel's prayer was rooted in the promises of God. Secondly, Daniel's prayer was resolute in seeking to glorify God. Most of us pray and ask God for things, and that's all right. I don't want to put you on the guilt trip. You need to do that. It's all right. God wants you to pray for your needs. But most of us would just pray for our grocery list. You know, God, give me this and give me this, and and that's fine. And then depending on the level of our patience and perseverance, when God doesn't answer, say, ah, God is not going to answer that one, and literally disappear. I want you to hear me right. The reason why we are not like Daniel is because we do not pray like Daniel. And the reason we do not pray like Daniel is because we do not know God like Daniel knew God. And the reason we do not know God as Daniel knew God is because we do not live to the glory of God as Daniel lived. Look at verse 17. For the sake of your glory, for the sake of your sanctuary that is desolate. You see, listen to me, beloved. The bottom line in Daniel's life, the bottom line for his living, the bottom line for why he got out of bed in the morning, the bottom line, the reason for he went to work in the morning, the bottom line for everything, every breath that he drew, every single moment of every day. It was not his pocketbook. It was not the economy stupid. It was not how much I can get out of the government. It was not which candidate who can make me better off. No, 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 no. Daniel's purpose for living was the glory of God. Look at verse 19. Save your people, Lord, for your sake. For your sake. Beloved, only when you and I become mastered by the glory of God... Only when you and I be consumed by the glory of God, only when you and I know what it is to sacrifice for the glory of God, only then, when we totally resolve to see nothing, we do nothing but for the glory of God, only then will we expect to receive the real blessings that flow from answer to prayers. Daniel's prayer was rooted in the promises of God. Daniel's prayer was resolute in seeking the glory of God. Thirdly, Daniel's prayer was a request for the mercy of God. Daniel was bold in his prayer. Sure, he was bold because he knew the Lord. He experienced Him already. He knew His character. He knew His faithfulness. And he knew that He is rich in mercy. It has been several decades since 
Daniel was taken into exile. It's been several decades. And most likely, I can't prove it to you from the Scripture, but most likely, Daniel's generation died off. And the younger generation who grew up in exile did not know Jerusalem, did not experience the glory of God. They have not seen the temple being filled with smoke. They have not seen the worship of God. The younger generation did not comprehend even what Daniel was praying about. (laughs) You see, just like our younger generation, all they know is MTV. It's like our younger generation, all they know is that prayer outlawed from school. Like our younger generation, all they know is that the Bible is illegal to bring to public school. They only know is that the name of Jesus is used as a swear word on television. They only know that traditional family is becoming extinct. They only know that abortion is described by some politicians as a constitutional right. All they know is that the definition and the redefinition of marriage after 6,000 years is becoming a human right issue. And so many of the younger generation only know what is a spiritual exile that we've been experiencing in the last 40 years in this great country. And that is why, like Daniel, many of us who know that those last 40 years have been a spiritual exile, spiritual desolation like that of Israel, need to teach the younger generation to plead for God's mercy. We dare not ask for God's justice. We dare not ask God for what is fair, because God's justice literally will destroy us. And therefore, we plead for mercy. Look at verse 18. We do not present our supplications before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercy. Micah 7, 18 said that God delights in mercy, and Daniel knew that. The covenant God is a father. He's a father, a great father. And by His covenant, He brings us into His family. And as a great and wonderful and good Father, He takes pleasure. He takes delight in hearing the requests of His children, especially when they appeal to His covenant character. Daniel has not forgotten that he's praying to a God who's rich in mercy a God who loved them again and again, despite of their disobedience, despite of their rebellion, a God who forgave them again and again, a God who restored them again and again, a God who had mercy on them a million times before. And it's just Daniel to say, Lord, one more time, have mercy, O Lord. You and I need to plead for mercy. You and I need to appeal to the God of mercy. You and I need to cry to God for mercy. In His covenant, God promised to be merciful, and He proved it to His people. Read the pages of the Scripture and learn about the character of God. Daniel's prayer was rooted in the promises of God. Daniel's prayer was resolute in seeking the glory of God. Daniel's prayer 
was a request for the mercy of God. Fourthly, Daniel's prayer was a reflection of the needs of the people of God. I personally have no doubt, having read some of the background of the history of the time that Daniel was living and writing, I have no doubt in my mind that the vast majority of God's people were oblivious as to their desperate conditions. They were oblivious to what is around the corner. They were living in exile, they were making money, and they were getting rich, and they were focused on the Persian dream, and they were oblivious to the butchering that's going to take place a few years from now. Only someone with spiritual eyes can see where that road is leading to. And when Daniel was praying for the needs of the people, it's not because they knew that they needed God, not because they knew they needed to listen to the voice of the prophet Jeremiah and go back and be restored. No, 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 no. They did not know this. They didn't. That's what makes that prayer so powerful, because he was praying for the needs of the people whom they were not conscious of their own needs. And I want to tell you how many of us today who have spiritual eyes and see the direction in which our nation is heading, and we see the things that are happening, the legislations that are waiting to pass, and we see the things that are going on in our nation, and realize that the vast majority of people are oblivious to their desperate need. The vast majority of Americans are oblivious to the desperate spiritual condition that we're in. Only spiritual eyes can see the plight of a people who are blinded by sin and Satan, just as it is in our day. Most people are blinded when they think of freedom. They think it's freedom to do whatever they want. When they think flaunt freedom, they think it means murdering innocent baby. It's a freedom of choice. When they think about rejecting God's perfect plan, one man, one woman for life in marriage, and they say that's a freedom of sexual preference. They think that rejecting of God's laws from the public place is freedom from moral obligations. Oh, they are oblivious, all right. They are oblivious to the desperate conditions that this could lead us into. They're oblivious to the horror that the next generation could face. They were oblivious in the time of Daniel. They're oblivious today to the smooth-talking politicians. They're oblivious. They glibly repeat slogans, and that is why it is incumbent upon us, each one of us, who know the Lord, who claim to know the Lord, to cry to Him for mercy, to cry to Him for mercy. Whether the people see it or not, whether the people agree with us or not, whether they know it or not, whether they realize it or not, we are desperate in need for the mercy of God. And God in His mercy not only answered Daniel's prayer, but He revealed to him supernaturally. He gave him a vision of the coming Messiah who will turn history into his story. 
Those of you who are visiting will not understand this, but those who have been listening to me for long enough know that I never place my trust, I never place my hope on a political party or political ideology or a political candidate. I place my full trust and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone. But I can tell you as a person who had lived under the misery of dictatorship that God has uniquely privileged each one of us to give what is Caesar to Caesar, and that is to get out and vote and take our friends to vote, to vote godly way and vote for godly unrighteous candidates. I don't care what political party they belong to. Vote for men and women who are for life and not for death. Men and women who acknowledges marriage as God acknowledge marriages. Men and women who stand for the truth. Men and women who are not afraid. Men and women who are not checking to see which way the wind is blowing and they go. While we still yet have a chance. While yet it is day. Let's work. Let's work. Let's claim the promises of God. Let's plead for the mercy of God. Then let's do something. Do something. Many years ago, as a young Christian, I read biographies of many of the great men. They impacted me greatly. In fact, anything I have, anything that I am, anything that I'm here is because somebody else had impacted my life. And John Wesley made a statement that impacted me in my ministry. He said, let's work as if Jesus is not coming back for a thousand years, and then let us live as if He is coming back today. Father, we, your children, who are in this place, come to you confessing our sin and the sin of our nation. Father, we have no right to ask for anything, but it is because, Jesus, you said, when you abide in my word, whatever you ask of my Father, and so we're asking your Father in your name through your power. On behalf of the 40 million babies that were aborted, on behalf of those who suffer quietly, the righteous ones, on behalf of this great nation, on behalf of the men and women who give up their lives so we can be free, we stand before the Lord. And say to him, Lord, we stand. May heaven witness our standing. And may your mercy prevail. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.